Hey everybody, welcome to Cosmic Dragon, the podcast that features debut science fiction and fantasy authors. I'm Sean Grigsby, your host, and this is the very first podcast I'm extremely excited to have as my first guest, Jeanette Ng. Uh, Jeanette is the author of her debut novel, Under the Pendulum Sun, from Angry Robot Books, which comes out this October. Jeanette was born in Hong Kong and uh, moved to the UK, and she currently lives in Durham. She has a master's in medieval and renaissance studies uh, where she uh, fueled her interest in missionary theology, which uh, we'll talk about in just a second because it has a lot to do with Under the Pendulum Sun, uh, which is a fey fantasy. Jeanette, welcome to Cosmic Dragon. Hello again. Um, Hello. So uh, the first thing... Yeah, I'm glad you're here. The first thing I want to talk about um, is that this is your debut novel. H- how many novels have you written previously? My drive is absolute graveyard of beginnings, but this is actually the first one I finished. Very good at starting books, but not finishing them, um, which I, I'm told is 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 quite rare that someone manages to publish their first book. So I'm sure it'll be terrible. Don't read this. Well. One. That that's it really is uh, saying something. I mean uh, th- that your first completed novel got published. Uh, there, there's tons of people out there who you know, like yourself. Barring my barring, like when I wrote when I was ten, that 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 was finished. That was finished. What what was yes. that one about? I just I did also disown the ending afterwards. Um, oh, really? <laughs> it was oh, it was a. Uh, uh, Thing in America, but it's a it's a very kind of British story about lashings of ginger beer and spending your summer holidays discovering islands and ah uh, um it, it's it, it's a bit of an institution and it's full of like um, very stupid adults and um and smart kids solving mysteries um, it's very cozy um, and I, I grew up in Hong Kong so a lot of that was just. I, I was oblivious to the reality of of English summers, um, but so so I would I would be able to tell you that if nettles stung you, you should use a dock leaf. But I had no idea what nettles or dock leaves looked like. <laughs> I, I uh, myself still don't. <laughs> That's something I could research here in just a second. So your very first uh, yes, very first. Uh, it, it, very first. Other than the the uh, one you wrote when you were ten. Well, hey, you may. Who knows? You might return to that one and, and see if you can add something more. Uh, so th- this whole book is about uh, the Fey and and missionaries. Uh, is so th- this is a world that is in the book recently discovered. Yes. Um. It, it's it's playing a lot on the idea of of discovery in new worlds and the other even um, which which can, when one gets kind of a bit pretentious about but um, the Fey are meant to be this projection of everyone's what people fear and are afraid of in in people beyond the border and in in the the ultimate other. Um, a lot of it came from reading actual missionary manuals, um, actual Victorian missionary manuals, and they, they would describe the people they're missionizing against at um, in, these, in these fantastically, awfully racist ways. 
Um, I remember one particular one where it, I mean, this is a passage that makes it into the book where they describe the Chinese as, no, 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 they have, they have two eyes and two arms and, and a nose and a mouth and all the lineaments of a, of a human being. And, and, and it was just this wonderful moment of like, wow, they, they really don't think of these people like people. Um, and obviously, you know, the Chinese are people. Um, but it fascinated me to thought of like, what would it be like to, for them to actually meet someone who was completely alien and weird? Um, someone who does match these descriptions um, rather than, well, you know, people. Um, and, how right. and, and how would that test their faith um, um, to, to encounter something that is so weird? And yeah, and kind of uh, contradicts everything they they believe. Uh, yes, well, a lot of a lot of the book is um, comes down to them dealing with the fact that um, this is something outside their faith um, and outside their the belief structure, or, or maybe not. Um, they they keep. Throughout the book, they are constantly trying to find ways to fit Fay into their ideas of good and evil, their ideas of a soul and not a soul, and how relevant or irrelevant theology, Christian theology, is to them. And that's the one thing that that kind of struck me, at least, and I'm I'm hoping uh, other readers will as well. Of course, people who read angry robot books are, are some of the smartest out there. But the the, the metaphor, <laughs> the metaphor of uh, th- as you were talking about the, these missionaries throughout history who journeyed to these foreign lands and oh, these people are so different and you know things like that. Uh, I, I hope that really strikes people because that, that's one of the first things that uh, struck me. The the very first thing, though, I have to say, and they say don't judge a book by its cover, but holy crap, you, <laughs> that cover is fantastic. It's one of those things where when you see it, it you, you just have to open it up and, and, and figure out you know, what, what the book's about. And uh, the artist is John Colthart. Yes. And, and yeah. from what I read, that, that was the first per- person that popped into uh, Angry Robot's mind when they were thinking of, uh, who to do the uh, cover art? So, what, oh, he does, what, he does uh, these wonderful neo-Victorian, very intricate covers, which I think fits it very well. Right, and and you, the you the cover itself is is um, harkens back to missionary uh, art, does it not? Yes, um, uh, John actually says reveal. He wrote about how he it is actually a composite of many pieces of period. Um, that he sort of um, pulled it all together. Um, and like um, Mab, um, the queen of the Fae, who, who is on the cover, she is literally made out of uh, pictures of moths, which is an ongoing theme in the, in the book itself. Um, and you've got the very oppressive architecture um, of um, Gethsemane, which is the castle that um, our heroine Cathy is stuck in. Um, and that you, you also get the... the sense of that architecture from the from the cover um and, and you know her brother is there too right it's beautiful uh um, you mentioned uh, Mab. Also, yes 
Oh, oh go ahead. You're, you're uh, continuing your thought. <laughs> it reminds me a little of the, uh, um, of the Old Flowers in the Attic um, cover, which if, it, it, to those who have read the book, that, that, is, that is a bit of a shout-out. Ah, okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily in giant no, houses and no gothic atmospheres. <laughs> and, right. and, and scary women. Um, and scary matriarchal presences um, who are kind of religious and kind of evil. Um, you know, the, it, it, oh. it, I, I'm, I, I'm, so it goes along I, it reminds line. me at least. <laughs> I can, I can actually see the, the correlation. Yeah. Uh, and you speak about uh, scary women. Uh, and uh, I was thinking of uh, Mab that you had mentioned. And Mab, of course, is, is, Throughout all kinds of, uh, of fairy lore, uh, and it get, got me wondering what what uh, in Under the Pendulum Sun. What did you s- stay true to, and what did you put your own twist on as far as the Fae? Uh, the gimmick for the Fae, uh, if if there is one, is that um, their world is not quite real. It's a it's a simulacrum. Um it's a simulation even of 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 our world. Um so it, it plays on a lot of ideas of it being a, a a almost a puzzle box. So a lot of their their sun is a pendulum. Um and and they have to simulate aspects of weather and the seasons and everything is on manual. Um, they have to personally do all of that, um, and that that adds to the sense of well creepiness and artificiality about them um, so that's that's sort of the um and, and you kind of this feeds back into folklore where you have um you have you know Jack Frost painting frost onto windows and things like that where where the fae are responsible for aspects of nature and if you kind of pull that all together you create a world that is nothing happens naturally in it and that's what's unnatural about it oh wow and um, your your two your two main characters are Catherine and Loun Hellstone yes. I love that last name by the way <laughs> was that a conscious thought or did it just sound cool Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, I think I just went through a bunch of um, a bunch of uh, romantic novels and picked a surname that sounded vaguely cool. Um, it, it sounds very cool. It's very, very uh, Victorian too. I, I think I I am completely I'm completely blanking where I got from, but I I might have been one of those, but. So the, the Catherine and Laun uh, journey into the world of the Fae. Um, by the way, if you can't reveal this, I understand. But how do they um, enter the world? Oh, um, well, uh, getting to the world of the Fae is that you have to be lost to get there. Um, um, and this this happens kind of before the start of the novel. The first chapter is literally Kathy stepping off the ship. Um, but in order to get to the land of the Fae, you have to literally not know where you're going, um, which makes getting there hard. And it makes trying to get there again harder. Um, but but they, technology overcomes this. There are various 
methods um, which which they use to to purposefully get lost. Okay. I'm surprised I don't end up there all the time. I walk into a room and, and forget why <laughs> I, I went in there all the time. <laughs> so, uh, Kat, Kat, now, are Catherine and, uh, and Laun, are, are, were they they're missionaries before they even discover the the world of the Fae? Is that correct? Um, well, Kathy's not quite a missionary. Um, so, uh, um, Leon go, um, goes there and he's he, he he discovers that he wants to be a missionary, and he goes, and uh, she he leaves Kathy behind. Um, and after a few years of sending not very many letters, um, Kathy thinks something is something might have gone wrong, um, and and partly because she wants to go to Fairyland herself, kind of follows to see if her brother is missing for good, um, and and see if she needs to rescue him or anything, and um, and there. So yeah, they, they they both answer the call of missionary. They they weren't missionaries before, um, before this, I suppose. Okay. That wasn't a great answer. <laughs> no, no, it was a fantastic answer actually. Uh, who would you consider then to to be, if anything, because I, I know it's not a uh, necessary thing in uh, many novels, but w- would Mab be the main antagonist in this book? Yes. Um, she toys with them a lot. Um, uh, she has what they want—a permission to go into the rest of the city, um, and do their work, um, talk to people, and, um, and they're they're basically asking her permission demands. I don't think this is giving away too much. Um, okay, Mab is really nice in novels. Speaking of giving away too much, is there a favorite scene in the book that you could talk about? There's a scene with hyenas that I'm quite keen on, and there's a scene with whales. Um, yeah, I like the whale scene. <laughs> can, can you elaborate, or is that something you want you want people oh, to wait a, and see? Um, there's a there's a dead whale that they they kind of explore, and it's pretty, and and I'm I, I, I'm I'm one for spectacles, so I I quite like <laughs> describing weird little details like that. Um, oh yeah. And that, that's the, from what I've I've uh, heard uh, the comparison. Everybody loves you know the Hollywood pitch of uh, comps, uh, but I heard that uh, this was compared to Crimson Peak. I mean, it follows a lot of the beats of Crimson Peak in the sense that you know, uh, innocent young woman, big house. She's stuck in the big house. Scary secrets. Um, you know, in, in the very similar vein, it's it's very gothic, um, and then you know, there's there's a million books in this subgenre of innocent young woman, big house, scary secrets, um, dating all the way back to Mysteries of Udolpho, um, which I name check, um, or even I, I reference. There's a door in Mysteries of Udolpho that won't stay shut, um, which we, which 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 I I I steal uh, because one has to. Like an artist, exactly. what better book to steal from than the originator of of the Gothic? Um, and obviously, you know, um, there's um, and you know, do as well, and something like Wuthering Heights. It's it's um there's a long history of woman big house novels, and this is this is one of them. <laughs> um, kind of a, a I tip suppose, of the hat to it. This is a novel I finished. Um, 
I, I will happily confess that I leaned very heavily on structure to finish finish this novel. Um, uh, previous efforts were very were very messy. I I wanted to tell everything and show everything to a reader, and um, under the pendulum sun is, if anything, too. Um, in its adherence to a, a, a so the story marches forwards um, and I, I love that my, myself is, is as far as reading but also writing because I, I started out myself writing uh, horror and <laughs> I love when fantasy and science fiction for that matter blends <laughs> horror elements into especially gothic horror which which I love as well and the whole my favorite era is the uh, Victorian England era. Sweeney Todd is one of my favorite things. So, I'm I'm really excited to see to see I, what you did. I suspect you will find some things to like um, in Pendulum Sun. <laughs> should should fantastic. You um, and you could yeah. spot all the little weird references that that are there for 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 the very specific Victorian horror fan. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so uh, um, we we have just a few minutes left. Um, okay. Because I, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, you, we've talked about your book, and uh, there are many uh, would-be writers or what, writers who are on the journey to becoming uh, traditionally published uh, who might be listening to this. And um, what what advice um, could you give to those listeners that, that something that you learned along the way, or something that somebody told you um, that that helped or could have helped? Never mistake the arrogance needed to write for an excuse to not take criticism. Very well is, said. Which is, um, I'm, I'm quoting myself. Um, I polished that one for hours. But uh, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's to say that it, it is an act of profound arrogance to write. And in the best possible way, you need to believe in yourself to believe you what you say is worthwhile and that's that's brilliant and you need that um but afterwards you have to be willing to admit that sometimes well um you might not have created a thing that is as good as you think it is and you'll get defensive and 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 you enter the cycle that if you take too you know you you fear if you take too much criticism um you won't be able to write anymore. And I, I was paralyzed, um, and sometimes still am, for, for fear that I will create something terrible. Um, and only when I'm... And I, I sort of have to bring out that arrogance to, to go, well, actually, I, I can write no wrong. And, and then in that mindset, I can write. Um, but then afterwards, you put that away um, because, <laughs> because no one needs to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of... I, I know the whole... Uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, write drunk, edit sober. It, to take that same yes. theme, write arrogantly <laughs> and edit humbly, or something, much something so. along that same line. Something like that. Well, or, um, or be willing to take I, criticism after after you finish it. Yeah. Well, um, it's the two two instincts. It's the it's the burn it and um, well, you know, it's um, fuck it and burn it. You know, fuck it, it's good enough, and burn it. Terribly. <laughs> hey, it's a, that's it's my philosophy. It's the two instincts of writing, it. and they're, they're important skills. 
Um, Very much so. Um, and and I think that often when we're trying to nurture one, we forget the other. And it's okay to in the moment um, when you're asking for for reassurance um, that your work is good enough. You know, you, you kind of bubble wrap yourself and snuggle in to write, but, but that doesn't mean afterwards you, you don't step out into the harsh criticism of day. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I, I've heard for a while, and uh, Mary Robinette Kowal has talked about it, uh, the whole imposter syndrome. And when I first heard that, I go, ah, oh, whatever, that's just until it hit me. <laughs> and then I go, oh, no. You know, I've been cocky up until this point, and now I, I feel like I'm I'm a, you know a little fish in a big pond now, and it's 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 crazy. I mean, did you did you experience any of that? I I'm I'm very much someone who 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 cosplays a a, a very who pretends a, a a certain demeanor that I say in public, and I, and it, it 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 serves me well enough. Um, I, I do a. I do a lot of live role play and there are certain personalities and ticks that I kind of glean off dead characters that, that I use when I need to public speak. But um, <laughs> well, uh, people who, who are familiar with those characters um, will watch me in, in a performance and say, well, ah, yes, I know who that is. Um, <laughs> well, you take uh, motivation from wherever you can get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, um, for the longest time, I would go to weddings as Lady Odette, who is a very genteel, bossy, if you kind of imagine some cross between, I don't know, um, one of the stuffy ladies in, in a Jane Austen novel, um, she, she's that kind of character. Um, and, and I would use her persona um, at a wedding because that was what was necessary. So all her her posture and her little hand gestures and that drawl in her voice would come in and then, and, and I, I was brilliant at weddings. You, you bring up a, a great point. It's something I've always kind of, I've done myself. I've, I've never really talked about it with anybody else up until this, this point, to be honest with you. But I, I used to be uh, very heavily involved in theater mm. uh, in high school. And, and it's kind of that. And I think uh, Peter Sellers, I, I always called it Peter Sellers syndrome where uh, different, uh, different situations call for, different for lack of a better word characters that you bring out you know with with some people you have to be more uh outgoing and extroverted with other people you have to kind of you know pull back the reins a little bit um i'm glad i'm not the only one who do, who does that <laughs> did, did uh your live role playing did that kind of help help you in your writing, because I know for myself, uh, my, my background in, in acting um, helps me kind of get into the mind of characters. Would you say that that helped in writing uh, Under the Pendulum Sun? Um, a lot in the sense that, not, not specifically, but I, uh, a live role play does feed a lot of my writing, um, partly because I, I do a lot of theology in live role play as well. Um, some of the experimental theology that gets done in Under the Pendulum Sun is related to things that um, certain characters of mine would do. Um, even the concept experimental theology sounds ludicrous. Um, um, and, and live role play does teach you a lot about how characters can interact in surprising ways that everyone's a main character to, to an extent and, and that things happen when you're not looking at them. But, but yeah, like um, 
but I wouldn't say there was a specific moment. Um, but just the overall, I got you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I also hung out with all the people who played missionaries at one point, um, and they, they also had to deal with um, strange and knowable horrors, but... Oh, wow, so yeah, that definitely helped. <laughs> So uh, we're just about out of time, but I, yep. for our listeners out there who are uh, going to go out and pre-order another <laughs> Pendulum Sun, wink, wink, hint, hit, nudge, nudge. Um, what are you? Is this a planned series? Is this a standalone? It's a standalone. It's standalone? very decided to be a standalone. I see. Personally, I love standalones. Everybody's all about series and. I can write series, but standalones are just so awesome. You get a nice chunk, and you get a nice full story, and it's done. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to worry about you know the continuation and the cliffhangers and things like that. Uh, can you tell uh, our audience what you're working on now, if, if, if that's something you can share publicly? Um, Borgias in space. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it is the working title. That's awesome. <laughs> don't watch, don't okay. watch this space. I, I've promised people like half a dozen novels I'm totally writing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so hopefully someday that, that will come out. There will be Borgias in space. I, I want that to be Borgias in space. Awesome. Cool. That's, that, that's, I'm, I'm excited for that as well. So, uh, Jeanette, thank you so much for being thank on you for having me. my podcast. Um, Everybody out there, look out for Under the Pendulum Sun coming this October from Angry Robot. Jeanette, we'll see you soon. Bye.